Lord. Let's take our Bibles, please, tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 tonight. Romans chapter 10. I don't know about you, but when we have a a time like that of worship, my heart is full. And it moves me and stirs me. And and, uh, sometimes in a song, it can just be two or three words that catch my attention. And just the Lord reminds me again of some things. And I was thinking, as the ladies were singing, and you know, our theme tonight is missions. And and, uh, I'm going to share a few thoughts on that. And what a shame that most of the world has never felt like that. Never known what it was like to come into his presence and worship at his feet and to sing about the name of Jesus Christ. And some are religious and they'll go to church faithfully and they will sing, but it's very liturgical and it's very uh, mechanical and there's just no Holy Spirit of God moving in those places. I've been there and you say, I've been to the funerals in those religious groups and those things and just no sense that they actually know God, that they're actually worshiping God. And, and so I, I just what a shame that so many do not know. We just learned on Wednesday night from a video that we watched from First Bible International that 3.5 billion people in the world have never seen a copy of the Bible. 3.5 billion, that's almost half of the world's population have still are plunged in darkness, never having held a copy of God's Word in their hands. And what a shame. And uh, it, it behooves us, it falls upon us uh, to do a greater work. And it seems insurmountable at times, doesn't it? It seems, we mentioned uh, Callie tonight and the Ray family in China, and he said, how do you reach a billion people? God can do anything. God can do anything. We're just reminded of that in that great song. And so as we think about the cause of world evangelism tonight, and we share these few thoughts on world missions, we may think that my little bit doesn't matter, but God can take just a little bit and do anything he wants with it. And uh, be reminded of that tonight, that God can take what you offer and can do great and mighty things. So let's look at the Bible tonight, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse 11 Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen? Are you ashamed of Jesus? For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I'm, I'm not going to twist scripture or turn it around, but my thoughts immediately go to this. If I am ashamed, have I truly believed? It's just a question that comes out of that verse. If I am ashamed of Jesus, have I truly believed in him? Because the Bible says that if we have believed, we are not ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things let's pray together our heavenly father we pray lord that you'd be honored by the singing of your praise tonight some of the songs we sang were also 
for the purpose of stirring our hearts, for edification, to help us to remember there's a lost and dying world in need of the gospel. But Lord, as we sing and we remember how good you are to us, may we remember there's so many that have never heard. I believe it was Oswald J. Smith that said, nobody has the right to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be serious about our salvation, about our walk with you, but then the outpouring of our love. As we show our love and our appreciation and our sincerity of our faith in Jesus Christ by going out and telling a lost and dying world. Father, I pray that you just speak through me tonight. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't do it when we did the survey, but if I were to go around the room and ask for hands of those that were perhaps born in those countries and other places, I think you'd be interested to find out that we have a mission field right here in Simcoe. We have another family that comes occasionally. Their last name is Bulik. They're from the Ukraine. We had a family here this morning from Guatemala that has just recently moved here. We have Mrs. Pathy, of course, from Russia. And so from all around the world, it, the mission field has come to our doorstep. Pretty soon you'll be going into Walmart on a Friday night and you'll see that it's filled with the nations. People from offshore workers from all over the world coming to work in our community that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, I went out with Caesar one night and we were handing out John and Romans in Spanish uh, we were down at the uh, downtown Simcoe Town Shopping Center where the Giant Tiger and, and such are, and the men were getting their groceries. And, and, and I walked out of a store. I came out of the food basics there, and one fellow said, Hey, preacher, do you have a minute? And I said, Sure. And I walked over to him, and I was talking to him for a few minutes, and, and he says, What do you got in your hand? And I said, I have a, a John and Romans, and I, I, and, and I gave it to him, but he was from uh, Barbados, and it was in Spanish. And he says, I can't read it, but I can take it to some other guys on the farm that can. And he began to talk a little bit more, and I said, why did you call me preacher? Have we met before? And he says, oh, you just look like a preacher. I thought, well, praise the Lord, whatever. But I thought, you know, it's interesting, as we handed out those John and Romans that night, and because Caesar spoke Spanish and they were in Spanish, we were, we were targeting those that were from Hispanic countries. I was surprised at how many from Jamaica and Barbados and Trinidad and Tobago came and said, do you have something for me? They asked for a copy. The world wants Jesus Christ. They have a void in their lives. The truth is, is that we are so spoiled in North America that we get the door slammed in our faces here, but there's a lost and dying world that has never heard and would love to hear more about a Savior, one that could change their eternal destiny. We see in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, I, I find it interesting as I, as I look at the scriptures, Romans chapter 1 tells us that Paul was writing to the saints that were scattered abroad in Rome. These were saved people that he was writing to. And throughout the book of Romans, he talks about some great doctrines of the faith, justification, 
that our sins have been justified. We are made right before God. Propitiation and all these big words that we talk. I, I like particularly Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And, and then he says the purpose of his book in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He says, my prayer is that Israel might be saved. And I begin to wonder, as he writes to the people of Rome and tells them how good God has been to them, and he lays out the process of all that took place in their salvation, and by the way, they didn't know that when they got saved. They just knew that they were lost, and they, they, they were sinners before God, and they needed a Savior, and so they called upon the name of the Lord, and they were saved, and they didn't know words like justification, and sanctification, and propitiation, and they, they didn't understand what all that meant, but Paul explains to them, this is what happened. This is what God did for you. And now my prayer is that Israel might be saved. And I kind of wonder, is he not stirring the church at Rome to go out and tell his friends back in Israel about the gospel? Was he provoking them to missionary work? Because in the same chapter, he says this in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. If I could outline some things quickly for you tonight, and then we'll, we'll just spend a few moments on the last point. But I want you to notice what I see in the scriptures in verse 14 and 15. There's four statements there that ask the question, how? How shall they call upon him and whom they have not believed? When I hear that phrase in verse 14, I, I immediately think that we must go in the spirit of God. Go in the Spirit of God. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we understand that faith is increased as the Holy Spirit reveals to our hearts the truths of God's Word. The Bible talks about faith being mixed with the Word of God. And when the Spirit of God comes along, we understand it is He that does the work. I think too many times we've gone out in the flesh and we say, well, I'm going to fulfill the Great Commission and I'm going to fulfill this. How, how shall they call upon Him in whom they are not believed? So I'm going to go and I'm going to tell somebody, but nothing ever happens. We're not effective. But if true belief is going to happen in a heart, it must happen by the Spirit of God. We talk a lot about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit of God, and, and it, it may become cliche to you, and it may seem like that's a uh, we only have one chord on that guitar we keep plucking over and over again. But friends, I want to tell you something. Uh, people's lives hang in the balance. People are going to hell if we don't deliver the message filled with the Spirit of God that He might work through us and that He might speak to their hearts and that He might change their lives. I've been thrilled to see folks come through our door and visiting. But we never know if they know Christ or not. We never know, are they on their way to heaven? We never know if they'll return to hear the gospel again. He says, so when must we be filled? You must always be filled. 
We can't take time off. That one time where we decide that I'm just going to let things go and I'm going to let sin creep into my life. And, and listen, we all sin. But we don't keep a short account with God and we let it take over our lives. That's the time when somebody comes across our path that needs Jesus. We fail them because we haven't been filled with the Spirit. How, how will they ever believe? On whom they have not heard. But how will they hear if we don't give it to them with the Spirit of God? You know, you never saved anybody. You understand that, right? I remember going to the help program several years and, and hearing you know, young kids, they 14, 15 years old, and they'd lead a child to the Lord that week, and it'd be the first time they ever did it. And Friday night, we'd have a testimony service, and, and I understood what they meant, but you would hear a kid get up and say, well, I, I saved a little five-year-old this week. Just innocence, but we know we don't save anybody, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that have converts, but they're on their way to hell. We want them to be converts of the Lord Jesus Christ, disciples of his, followers of his. And so we must go in the spirit. How shall they believe on whom they have not heard? And how, number two, how shall they believe in him? Or sorry, uh, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And whom they have not heard? I think secondly, we need to go with the gospel. The only way they're going to hear about Jesus Christ is if we preach the gospel. You know, I've, I remember uh, years and years ago, Pastor Massacre and I, we, we, we became, uh, merged with this church and we ended up uh, being in, on a church on Nash Road. And uh, it, was, it was a great, a matter of fact, if you want to go into the archives of the Hamilton Spectator, you can see, look up New Hope Baptist Church. And the only picture that comes up is a four-year-old Cody running around the front yard at the help program of the church. They took a picture of Cody in the front. He, was just, he had hair back then. He wasn't bald when he was four. And, uh, but we were in this church, and I remember uh, there was a pastor who had been there for many years, and he said, I'm retiring. I'm leaving my library. You guys just take whatever you want. And so Marvin handed me some books. He said, hey, you want to look through these? I said, sure. And we were looking through them. Well, I found a book of his sermons. And I opened up, I thought, oh, this would be interesting, you know, an old preacher and some of his sermons and his sermon notes. And, it was, and literally, I'm not lying, listen, he had cut stories out of the Reader's Digest and punched three holes in them and put them into his sermon book, and that's what he preached. How is anybody going to learn of Jesus? Oh, they were interesting stories. Stories of survival and stories of people coming back from harrowing things that had happened in their lives and battles, but they were just moral stories. They, they didn't point to Jesus Christ. They didn't preach the gospel. And how are they going to believe on him whom they have not heard? And how are they going to... Uh, they need the gospel. They need him. They need Jesus. You know, I'm a little nervous. Many times a missionary goes and says, well, we're going to work for several years developing this program and then doing this program. And, I, and in my heart, I want to hear, that's all well and good. I understand they need wells in Africa and they need orphanages over here in Honduras and they need, you know, Haiti needs all kinds of things. I get that. And you want to be a blessing and you want to help the people. But tell me, are you going to preach Jesus? Are you going to preach the gospel? 
We must make sure that we are focused and we're going with the God. How shall they believe on him, on him whom they have not heard? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You can go to heaven without a well, and you can go to heaven without an orphanage, but you cannot go to heaven without Jesus Christ. We need the gospel. Then we see the third part of this verse, verse 14. How shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? For many of you tonight, you say, well, there, I'm off the hook. I'm not called to be a preacher. The word preacher here is not the word pastor. It is not the word evangelist. It is not the word missionary, though the New Testament idea of an evangelist is a missionary. The word preacher is one who proclaims the gospel with passion. That's what it is. It is a herald of the gospel that comes from the same root word. In the, we sing the songs at Christmas, hark the herald angels. And I, I imagine as those angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus Christ, it was with a great passion. And we must have a passion for the gospel. So we must go with a passion for Jesus Christ and go with a passion for the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? Every last one of you have been called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm thankful again tonight if I can remind you that the nations have come to our doorstep. The nations have come to our doorstep. After that HELP program, on Sunday morning, or Sunday night after the HELP program, Pastor Masker was exhausted, the same one that, that Cody was at. And so he asked me if I'd preach Sunday night. He'd preach Sunday morning. I'd preach Sunday night. I said, sure. And and so I got up and, and I was preaching and then something hit me. I had all the, the cards from that week, a stack of cards of all the kids that had come. And I just took the rubber band off and I started reading the names. In the middle of that message, and some of the names were from India, Pakistan, Ireland, all over the world. I said, folks, we don't have to go far for the mission field. It's right here at our doorstep. And it's the same here tonight. We probably had 15 nations represented here tonight. And likely, if if we dug deeper, there's more. If you looked at all four of your grandparents, if you considered all the... uh, I'm just a mutt, right? (laughs) There's all kinds of things going on in my blood. But listen, uh, the nations of the world are here. People are dying to come to Canada. And in the next several years, we're going to see so much more. Are we ready to share with them Jesus? Are each one of us a missionary tonight, going with the gospel of Jesus Christ, going with a passion? But look at this last thing, and we'll spend a few moments here. It says in verse uh, 15, And how shall they preach except they be sent? How shall they preach except they be sent? You say, well, are we sending out missionaries? I'm not sure that it's that simple. I think there's a lot of things we do to send a missionary. I think we send them with our prayers. Praying for those missionaries, praying for those nations, praying for the people. I think we ought to give that others may go. We are, we are so blessed. Man, God's been so good to us. I think we ought to give to see the gospel 
taken around the world. Have you heard that song? I think Brother Tony has sang it. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Did Brother Tony sing that? Yeah. Have you heard that song? Thank you for giving to the Lord. What a thought. The song, one of the verses talks about, I, I, I can't remember all the lyrics. It talks about standing before the Lord and how a missionary came by and just shared his slides and, and how as a little child they just pray and they just gave a little bit of money, just a quarter or something they put in the offering, just a little bit. But this convert from some far off country came to them and said, Jesus took that gift you gave and that's why I'm in heaven. That's why I'm here today. We never know what will happen if we give. Turn, if you will, to Malachi chapter 3. I want you to notice some things tonight. Do you know Malachi chapter 3? Everybody says, oh boy, here we go on tithing. I believe in tithing. But notice this. There's more said about an offering in Malachi 3 than there is tithing. There's more said about an offering than there is tithing in Malachi Chapter 3. As a matter of fact, you say, well, why do you, let, me, let me just say, why do I believe in tithing? Because tithing happened before the law ever came along. Abraham gave tithes on the Melchizedek. And we know that there was a pattern established in the life of those that were called the children of God that they would give. As a matter of fact, God so loved the world that he gave. God's people are a giving people. The Lord Jesus Christ came across the Pharisees and he was rebuking them. He says, you have tithed of all these little seeds. You remember that? And in his rebuke, he said this, this ought ye to have done. What you did is a good thing. That's, that's right. Tithing is a good thing. But don't forget the weightier matters of the law. There's some other things you've forgotten. Tithing is important. It is us recognizing, I think every week, God has made it easy for us, the 10%. That's what tithe means because it allows us each week to stop and think about it. Listen, if you didn't tithe, would you actually consider what God had done for you in the last week? Think about that. You have to take stock. You have to take inventory. Okay, I, I need to tithe. And so what has God prospered me? How has God blessed me? And I've got to be honest with you, a lot of times I'm surprised. Wow, I never... Sometimes my wife has been hoarding something I didn't know about, and I find out about it on tithe day, amen? She'll say, did you know another couple hundred dollars came in from somewhere? Didn't know it was coming, but it came in. I had this check come in the mail. That's when we tithe, we take stock of that and take account of that. Look what it says in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom ye delight. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord... An offering in righteousness. That's the priestly tribe. God says, I'm coming in judgment. And I'm going to judge the sons of Levi, the priests. 
that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, I'm thankful that the scripture doesn't say what offering it's talking about. It doesn't talk about if it's the Day of Atonement or some other feast. It doesn't talk about if it's a blood sacrifice. It doesn't talk about if it's an offering of the first fruits. It just says, in general, an offering. God says, I need to get the offering straightened out. And so he comes and he purifies the people of Israel and specifically the house of Levi or the priestly tribe. The Bible says this in 1 Peter, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And it is first to begin in us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? How shall he judge? Verse 3 tells us. Uh, he'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Do you know how you refine and purify silver? With fire. And that's how he's going to purify the tribe of Levi that they might offer properly. Look at verse 4. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come to near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from the right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. And so God is going to judge the Levites and he's going to judge his people Israel and he's going to drive some things out of the country. In verse six, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. But we like to say that I'm the Lord, I change not. We, we like to hold on to that verse, don't we? God is saying it here in judgment. He's saying the only reason you're not consumed because I'm the Lord and I'm going to keep my word. I, I never change. The only reason I haven't breathed out fire on this whole country is because I'm the Lord and I don't change. I'm going to keep my word. It, it's but by his grace and his mercy we are not consumed. And he says, so I want to straighten out, so I'm going to bring judgment. And, and when we sin, God does not appreciate our offerings. And we, we see that in the life of Israel. And in verse 7, he says, even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But he said, wherein shall we return? So now the, the Levites and the priests, they're beginning to ask God, God, what have we done? What can we do to return unto you? How can we make this right? God is coming in judgment to judge Israel and to judge the house of Levi. And he's going to set some things in order. And he says, from the days of your father, you've gone away. And I want you to return unto me. And so now you're asking, okay, Lord, how do we return? What is the first thing we need to get right? Look what he says in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have ye robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that if I will not open, up, open you the windows of heaven, and pour it out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He said, oh, I can't afford to tithe. You don't have room in your house to receive the blessing if you do. God says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour you out a blessing. Understand this, God was angry with Israel. They had sinned, and I mean, from the days of their fathers, he said, you have just steadily moved away from me. And they said, all right, Lord, how do we get this right? 
He says, here's where you got to start. You got to start with your tithes and offerings again. Isn't that funny? That's the first thing God says. That's the first thing. We wonder why we don't have the blessing of God sometimes in our lives. Are you tithing? Are you giving an offering? Tithing is giving to God what already belongs to him anyway. An offering is a show of our love for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth to give to help those poor saints in Jerusalem that had been scattered by the persecution of Rome. And he said this, prove the sincerity of your love. We give to prove the sincerity of our love. We said, well, we love those people, those places we prayed for tonight, those lands of our heritage, those places that we came from, perhaps even born in those places. Boy, we love them, and we have people there that we love, and we, we desire for them to be saved. Have you proven the sincerity of your love? By giving to missions? I Listen, I, you, you know that I, I hate preaching on on money. I really do. But when it comes to missions, that just comes right in the church and goes right back out. That's us just being stewards of God's money to see the gospel preached. You can't take it with you anyway. Why not give it to the Lord? Listen, we have to get beyond this thought that, that it's costing us something. It's not a cost, it's an investment. It's sowing seed in God's economy. You say, what do you mean? God says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if a man sows sparingly, he shall reap also sparingly. But if a man sow bountifully, he shall reap also bountifully. God loveth a cheerful giver. I'm sowing, I'm sowing, I'm giving. Why? So that I can stand before the Lord one day and have that little boy or that little girl come and say, you know that little bit you gave? I'm in heaven today because of it. Thank you for giving to the Lord. So he says you can start by giving a tithe, giving an offering. He says that'll start the reconciliation. You've been cursed. And look what happens. You say, well, is it... If I, if I begin to tithe, Pastor, I begin to, if, I, if I begin to give, will, will God just fix all my financial woes? I'm not saying you're going to open up your bank account tomorrow and just find that, that there's a million dollars laying there. I, I'm, not, I'm not a politician. I'm not going to put two cars in every yard. I, it's, it's not what we do. But notice what he says. Verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, I'm going I'm to bless you in some very tangible ways, and you, you may not be able to measure it or see it necessarily. Your crops are going to get a little bit bigger. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. 
I'm not going to let Satan have his way with you as, as much as he would like. God just, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I can't imagine how many times that God has provided for our needs in ways that we don't even know. How many times God has protected us. I remember one time, my wife was just telling one of the kids about this the other day. We were driving down to Jacksonville, Florida through the hills of North Carolina, and we'd stopped there to see a friend, and we were going through these mountains and these hills, and it was crazy, and there had been an accident up ahead, and this truck decided he was going to change lanes quickly to try to avoid that accident, and when he changed lanes, he had, it was a, a truck, that, uh, a tradesman, and he had a big ladder on that truck, and that ladder flew off that truck, and it was coming right at us like this. And I winced and I thought, I'm going to have to swerve into the ditch because that was coming right through our windshield. And at the last minute, that ladder changed directions and went right by us. My wife was sitting in the passenger seat and it was headed right through the window at her. And we saw it literally change directions like a big wind came and picked it up and threw it into the ditch. You say, oh, that's, you're just a... I don't care what you think. My God was there with us. You can say you're crazy. But think about this. God, God may have spared our lives. He may have spared us hours. He may have spared us thousands of dollars in repairs. I don't know what he spared us, but I know that he got us to our destination safely. And we avoided a lot. Because God said, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to take care of you. You know, Israel understood what it was meant to wander for 40 years, and their clothes never wore out, and their shoes never got wore out. Imagine that. How many of you can testify tonight that God has made some things last a little bit longer because you've been faithful in giving and taking care of God's house and taking care of God's missionaries? Listen, I'm just telling you it's a Bible principle. God will bless your life if you're a giving people. It's a promise of the word of God. But God loveth a cheerful giver. Don't, don't, don't throw it in the offering plate because you have to. I, I, I don't want anybody leaving here tonight and say, well, the pastor says we've got to tithe and we've got to give. Don't bother. God, God doesn't need your money. But if you want to know the blessings of God, come in joyful, cheerful. And give unto the Lord and watch them bless your life. How shall they go unless they be sent? How can we help them get there? How can we encourage them along the way? How do we support them while they're there? This Wednesday night, I have a deacons meeting. And I'm going to share with the deacons a, a project that's a missions project. There's a claim trip coming up, and they have some needs, and we want to help a little church up in the north. And then shortly after that, the following Sunday, I want to bring it to Bethel Baptist Church and say, we're going to try to help this church. I'm going to tell you, it would be a blessing if I got in the pulpit and everybody started smiling. We get to do something for Jesus. We get to give to see people saved. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I got to tell you, a lot of times I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, let's, I look at the order of service and go, I'll present this burden to the church, oh boy. And I'm praying that the pulpit is bulletproof. 
God's people should be a giving people. God loves the cheerful giver. Let's, how shall they go less to be sent? Let's, let's be a giving people. Let's, let's help get the gospel out around the world. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Lord, just to take these rambling thoughts, but to penetrate our hearts with them. And Lord, we should start somewhere. Lord, even a child can do something to help in this cause. And so I pray, Lord, you speak to our hearts and move among us tonight. And Lord, as these projects come up, as missionaries come and share their burden, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to do our very best, to be pleasing unto you in our tithes and our offerings. Lord, I can testify tonight with my hand up, raised to heaven, that you have opened the windows of heaven and you've poured out your blessings upon our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would help each one in this room to experience that and to know that you cannot outgive God. And that God, or that we will reap from God what we sow to God. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, I do not intend it all tonight. And I pray that my heart and my spirit didn't come across that way. I'm not here to pressure anybody, to make anybody feel guilty about not giving. Lord, we're all at various stages of growth. And I, but I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to grow a little bit. Help us to be obedient to the word of God. Help us each to start somewhere. And Lord, understand that it might look just like a ripple in the pond when we throw in our little bit. But God can take a little boy's lunch and he can feed 5,000. Lord, may you take our meager offerings and spread the gospel around the world. So we commit it to you, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight and sing a song. We're going to sing, Daniel, I wonder have I done my best for Jesus. Brother Rob, can you put that up on the, the screens for us? I think it's called, Have I Done My Best for Jesus, if you're looking it up. I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? If you'd spend some time in prayer, the altar's open if you would like. But just ask ourselves a question. Is, have we done our best? Can we do more? And uh, boy, the time is fleeting. How many of you believe we're living in the last days? Yeah. That means there's going to be so many that don't get a chance to hear if we don't act now.